the world of comics podcasts is unpredictable. Yeah, like is the episode going up at 9 a.m. Eastern or Pacific? When you least expect it. Or are they going to skip a week again? Everything changes. I mean, I do love a good bonus episode. They are coming. Oh, oh, is it a guest? Acts of Friendship, the comics podcast crossover. Oh, I see what they did there. Coming November 2018. Wait, what are you doing here? WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQNA, the official podcast of the WMQ Comics website. I'm your host, Dan Grote. And what you just heard was the trailer for something I am very excited about. We are taking part in a comics podcast crossover called Acts of Friendship with some other cool shows. We'll be mixing and mingling with the gangs from Battle of the Atom, the podcast where they rank every X-Men story ever, uh, Chris's on Infinite Earths, which dives into crossovers, The Young Ones, which focuses on teen super teams, and others. So that is something you can look forward to uh, next month. Uh, Definitely worth checking out all those shows. Uh, The Acts of Friendship name, of course, is a play on the old Marvel event Acts of Vengeance, perhaps most notable for transforming Psylocke from fuchsia-haired British nobility into purple-haired Asian psychic ninja. That is a long-winded way of transitioning to my next topic, which is Unktober. We are looking for readers to write to us about their favorite issue of Uncanny X-Men ahead of the November relaunch. So far, we've done entries on issues 153, Kitty's Fairy Tale, 303, The Death of Ilyana, 308, the Thanksgiving issue where Jean proposes to Scott, and 310, where Cyclops and Cable bond while wailing on the Executioner. Uh, If you've got 300 words or so on your favorite issue, send them to us at wmqgrams at gmail.com. Meanwhile, this week on the podcast, we are talking with writer Jeremy Whitley. Uh, Jeremy's in the middle of a pretty big month. He started off launching a Rainbow Bright series at Dynamite with Brittany Williams. He's got a second volume of Unstoppable Wasp coming out October 17th with Guru Hero. And next month, he's got volume 7 of his long-running creator-owned series, Princeless, coming out over at Action Lab. Uh, We talk about all those series. Uh, Actually, Matt pretty much runs the show this week. Uh, This is the most you're going to hear me blab. Matt is a longtime Princeless and Wasp fan, so it was nice to defer to his superior knowledge for this episode. But uh, anyway, let's transition back to the site for just another minute. Uh, Gotta make sure you local listeners know about Halloween Comic Fest on October 27th. We're going to be recording an episode of WMQ&A live at Level Up Entertainment at the Hamilton Mall in Mays Landing, uh, talking horror comics with Matt, Rob Lynch, and Bob Petreca. Uh, That's going to be a lot of fun, and of course, because it is Halloween Comic Fest, Level Up will be giving out free comics. So if you live in South Jersey, please come check that out. Uh, Also worth checking out is all the great content we've got up over at WMQComics.com. Matt's going to have a column up this week looking at the joint work of Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips from Sleeper to Killer Be Killed. He's also going to have a new installment of Pod People with Jeff and Rick from the Unpacking the Power of Power Pack podcast. Meanwhile, uh, I wrote this weekend about the Vertigo panel at New York Comic Con, and I'm working on an advance review of Daniel Warren Johnson's Murder Falcon over at Image. Uh, I've actually got a lot more NYCC material in me. It is just a matter of finding time to sit down and write it all. Uh, I went Friday and had a great time. Got to say hi to a couple of past guests of the show, uh, including Joe Eisman and Sebastian Gurner, uh, the latter of whom I recorded with but have not released yet. 
Uh, and in addition to the vertical panel, I also sat in on the burger books and image panels, both of which were informative and a lot of fun. So much, much more to come. But in the meantime, here is me and Matt and Jeremy. So we usually kind of start off talking to people about you know their early comics and how they were introduced to the medium. And doing some research, I read somewhere that you created your first comic when you were in third grade. What, what was that about? Uh, so uh, I had a, a teacher that uh, came up with sort of a, a brilliant project of you know having kids sort of create their own stories you know that they could illustrate and rather than being a picture book mine turned very quickly into a, a comic um it's a, an x-men story uh if i remember correctly um the x-men were fighting mephisto in this story um but yeah that's uh i created that i was very young and then at one point i uh went with my dad to a, a signing at a comic book store for this man uh, named Stan Lee. And uh, I brought my comic <laughs> I'm, I'm book to show him. <laughs> yeah, obscure creator. Yeah. yeah he's, a, he's an older guy, you know, from <laughs> early comics. But yeah, he, uh, I brought it for to show off to him, and he uh, signed it for me and uh, gave me a, a little, like, uh, uh, keep making comics, Excelsior kind of bit. So, how, how did your teacher take to uh, see, seeing a, your your comic with this uh, satanic looking character in it? She seems to have taken it all in stride, as as far as I can tell. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I lived in California at the time. I, I imagine possibly if I had lived in North Carolina where I live now, it would have been a little less. Uh, a little bit, a little less excited about that. A wee bit. Uh, yeah. California, a Mephisto-friendly state. <laughs> yes. Uh, They're so, pro-Mephisto. Uh, <laughs> so it looks like you've got a busy month coming up with three new launches in October. The new volume of Princeless, the new volume of Unstoppable Wasp, and Rainbow Bright from Dynamite. I mean, you've been working for a while now, but that's a pretty big single month from any creator how's it feel uh exhausting <laughs> um it's, it's interesting it's interesting that so much is happening in that month because it's been for me like spread out over like a long period of time because actually that month i have a total i think of five different comics coming out um so, or no, it's it's more than that even, um, because uh, yeah, the first issue of, of Volume Seven of Princeless is coming out. Uh, the first issue of the My Little Pony mini series I'm doing called Nightmare Nights is coming out. Um, the first issue of Unstoppable Wasp is coming out. Uh, the first issue of Rainbow Bright is coming out, and then uh, I have a Halloween Comics Fest. Uh, a book for, for Raven Pirate Princess I wrote well earlier this year that's that's coming out. And then, like, somehow, like a year later, Dynamite is finally releasing the, the collection of the Vampirella stuff I did for them um, that same month. So it, it it feels like I've been really busy recently, but uh, it's, it's, you know, been weirdly over the course of, of a long period of time that all that stuff's been cooking. Cool. Um 
you know, I'm really glad to see the new volume of Unstoppable Wasp because that was easily one of my favorite Marvel books of the past few years. And one of the things I love about it was that it is at its core this book about hope. And, you know, Nadia is so so full of joy and so full of energy and so much about making the world a better place. I, I thought it was interesting that that book came out right around one of the darker times in Marvel Comics at any point, which is right around Civil War II and that run-up to Secret Empire. Was it a conscious choice to sort of counter-program against the darkness that was going on in that universe at that point? I, I don't know how, like, conscious it was on, on my part. Like, it's certainly something that, that I've, I've done in other stuff, like the... Um, the tie-in to Secret Empire I did, you know, which was uh, underground, was was like a fun story about like B-list Avengers in the Savage Land, and that like uh, I feel like stands out as is weirdly like fun in a, a relatively somber story. Um, but I feel like Wasp just sort of a lot of it sprang out of just what I I saw in that character and what. Um, I think you know some of the stuff that Mark Mark Wade built into that character when he created her, and I I sort of wanted to pull out, which was her, um, you know, being being excited about life, being you know she's outside of this uh, bunker that she's been raised in her whole life for the first time, and she's excited about being a hero and seeing and doing all these things she's never done that she's thought about her whole life, um, you know it's. In a lot of ways, I want her to be, uh, I guess, sort of the anti-Black Widow, um, because they have a very similar backstory in that respect of, you know, having been raised in the Red Room, um, you know, and breaking out. And I wanted her to be somebody who, rather than reacting to that by, um, you know, being somber and uh, violent and often projected as being broken, um, I wanted her to be somebody that like saw these things that happened to her as like this reason to, you know, to do better, to do more stuff outside, to you know, sort of seize this chance to, you know, have a life that she'd never had before and make up for this lost time. Um, I, that was always sort of like something I wanted to do with her and something that um, I feel like comes naturally to her, if not so much naturally to me. Very cool. I, I love. I had such a great supporting cast. I mean, not just the the girls of girl, but uh, Bobby Morse and Janet and Jarvis and the interplay she had with Matt Murdock. Um, we're gonna. Most of those characters are gonna be back for the new volume. Uh, yeah, I think some, some more than others. Um, you know, Janet is is a much bigger part of. Uh, this volume than she was of the first volume. Janet really didn't show up until, you know, seven and eight in the first volume. She'll be there from the beginning this time around. Um, Bobby's going to be around a, a bit more. All of the agents of Girl will be there. Um, not so much uh, Matt Murdock this go around, though uh, I'm, I'm always looking for a good excuse to throw him in. Um, there's, a, I think, you know, more Janet and a little bit less Jarvis, but uh, I'm sure we'll find plenty of excuses to pull in Jarvis from time to time. 
when the when the original series wrapped, you know, did you kind of leave feeling like you know Marvel had left the door open for a second go round, or did they kind of come back to you later and and and, and you know ask for a, a second series and it felt like a surprise? A little bit of both because um, it was definitely something we had talked about initially because you know I had wanted to do more and uh, you know I, I feel like at the time they just didn't feel like the sales supported it. Um, you know, I loved the character and I loved the story. Um, but, you know, it, it came to what was, I, I felt like it was a good conclusion. You know, if I had to leave it, then that was where I wanted to leave it. Because, um, you know, we talked about ending it earlier and I <laughs> I was not happy with the idea of ending it like six, mm-hmm. um, which would have been, you know, a, a normal one volume ending. Um, and, you know, they... Marvel, to their credit, let us go to eight. I think seven and eight are two of the strongest issues we did, um, especially from from my point of view, story-wise. Um, so, like, you know, there had been some talk when when we were ending it about, you know, if if for whatever reason, you know, there uh, is a chance it does well enough, you know, in um, in its later months that they decide to pick it back up. Um, you know, they'll, they'll let me know there's, you know, it's very rare that something like that happens, but you know, they wanted to let me know that if, if there was a chance they would, cause both my editors are very invested in the character in the series as well. Um, but I think it had been enough time and space that I, I, I feel like we were all pretty sure it wasn't going to happen. Um, but then, you know, the, the trade sales on, on the book were, were very good and it, it had a uh, very strong second life um, in, in the book market. And, um, you know, it was enough that sales and marketing felt like there was an audience there for it and, and they should bring it back. And they, what they wanted was that, you know, that same book that we had been bringing. Um, so, you know, they, they came back to me and my editor and um, you know, asked us if we'd, be willing to do more, and I, I, of course, was more than happy to do more. I, I love the character and the story, and um, you know, the, the only person, only folks who weren't able to join us were the the art team. Elsa was, Elsa's off doing five hundred different books um, mm-hmm. and writing her own stuff and um, all of that. Um, but you know, we <laughs> we were able to get uh, my my editor asked, you know, who who would you want to get if we can't get Elsa back. And I said, well, you know, I feel like Guri Hero would be a great fit for this book. Uh, they're probably too busy. They probably have too much going on. They're really amazing, though. And it just so happened that, you know, they were just coming off of Gwynpool and they had the availability and they uh, they jumped in there and they're doing a fantastic job on this new volume. It looks really great. Oh, absolutely. The art that I've seen from, from Guri Hero, you know, right from the announcement, I was like, oh, wow, this is this is perfect, spot on. And you'd worked with them on the Secret Love one-shot, the Danny and Misty story, which was another phenomenal story. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's uh, the first first work I ever did for Marvel. Uh, you know, we happened to work together, and that was that was another one of those occasions where, like, uh, my my editor was like, you know, it looks like we might be able to get Guri Hero on this. Would you like to work with them? And I was like, yes, yes, they're amazing. <laughs> like. Get them right now. Why are you asking me about this? Like, there's a possibility. Let's go. Um, and they were—they were really—they were really phenomenal. 
uh, on that. And they, um, they're so good with expression and, and acting in their art. Um, that, you know, getting them on a book like this, which is, is so much about, um, about emotion and, and character was really a, just a fantastic get. One of the things about that first volume of Unstoppable Wasp that I thought was really, really different and special was the interviews at the back of each issue in the, you know, the quote-unquote letter page space uh, with female scientists. Uh, is that something that's going to continue in the new volume, uh, that, that messaging about STEM education for girls is so important nowadays? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that was one of the first things that I, I said when we started the new one was I, I want to keep doing the interviews. I want to get more people in there. I had had people that I had uh, talked to or, or talked about talking to, um, you know, around the time the other one ended that uh, just didn't end up panning out. And I had a lot of other people that had said, oh, well, if you're doing these interviews, you should talk to so-and-so. They're really fantastic. And, uh, of course, like I knew the series was ending before before anybody had announced it, so I had to be like, mm, "Yeah, um, I think we're set for a little while." Um, but yeah, I had this, this sort of long list of people I wanted to talk to, and and we already have uh, now a backlog of of these interviews, and there, I think I, I changed it up a little bit this time, so we've got some more, I think, specialized questions and some more digging than, than we did the first time around. And uh, I think they've turned out even better than they did then. Uh, with that, with that back matter, when, uh, you know, were you doing some, some research to figure out, you know, what scientists you want to include or was a lot of it coming in through suggestion? Um, so with the, the first go around, uh, the first two uh, women I interviewed were, were both people I knew, uh, friends and, and fans of ours on Twitter um, who, I I had talked to online and I knew I could sort of treat as guinea pigs going into it. <laughs> um, so I wasn't sure how well it was going to work out because I, you know, we sort of took the idea and ran with it and then took it to Marvel and said, here's what we want to do. Um, and I wanted sort of a proof of concept to that. And, um, you know, that worked out. Um, and they were, they were nice enough to, to play along with me on that. And, um, yeah, they they suggested other folks, and I had other people in the comics community suggest people to me. And and by the time the book started coming out, um, you know, we had a bunch of people um, either send in themselves or send in other people that they had worked with or people that they knew um, were fantastic. Um, you know, we even interviewed uh, a couple of people who are uh, you know friends and relatives of, of fellow comics creators. Uh, so moving on to your next launch of the month, um, Rainbow Bright. Um, how'd that come about? You said you'd worked with Dynamite before on, on uh, Vampirella. Uh, did you have a working knowledge of Rainbow Bright going into the title, or was it sort of they offered you the book and you had to do a bunch of digging? I also have to say this actually might be a comic that I can get my wife to read because she has very fond memories of Rainbow Bright from growing up. Uh, so it, it was interesting because I, I watched Rainbow Bright when I was young and um, I was born in 1984. So it's, I'm in right about the right age range to have seen it when it was around. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I, I knew I had a, I had a knowledge, sort of a passing knowledge of it from that, you know, having watched it, I hadn't watched it really since it showed initially. Um, but, uh, my Kevin, who'd been my editor on Vampirella, um, had this sort of fall in his lap and, you know, was looking around for a bunch of different people and, and asked me if I'd be interested because we had really enjoyed working together on, on the Vampirella stuff we had done. Um, and he'd been really game to, to try some fun and exciting stuff with that book. Um, you know, he, he asked me if I'd be interested and I, I gave him kind of a, well, you know, I'll, I'll think about it. I'll, I'll do a little research and see if, you know, I, I have a good idea because I don't want to try and do it if I don't feel like I have a good idea. Um, so like I, I read up on some, some Wikipedia stuff and I watched a couple of episodes and, um, I was like, yeah, I, I don't really know what I'm going to do. And then I, uh, I got in my car to drive, uh, to work. And by the time I got to work, I had a whole like outline in my head of what I wanted to do. <laughs> um, but I just sort of worked out on the road. I was like, okay, here's this idea. And we develop it like this and we, we do this and we, we bring in these characters through, you know, a different angle. Um, because I mean, the interesting thing to me was uh, Rainbow Bright is sort of a character without an origin story. Um, she just sort of shows up fully formed in the, the first episode of her <laughs> TV show. Um, she just kind of is Rainbow Bright. Um, and so I feel like it gave us a chance to really sort of go through and build out that world and, and do some some interesting stuff and, and really give her uh, a proper origin and a, a proper path to becoming a hero. Uh, and you're working with uh, Brittany Williams on this book as your artist, who is someone who uh, worked on one of my other favorite Marvel books of the past few years, uh, the Patsy Walker, AKA Hellcat with Kate Leth. Um, how is that? How's it working with her on this book? Oh, it's fantastic. I, I, I'd read Hellcat, and I read Goldie Vance, which you know she's done since then. Love Goldie um, Vance too. Yeah, and both of those are, are books that I read, you know, with my daughter, which is is cool, because um, you know those are things that she was excited about, and I'm I'm hoping Rainbow Bright will as well. But uh, you know, it's always one of those things where Brittany's one of those people's a real treat to get art in from, because like I I have ideas, you know, of what things are going to look like when I write them, and when the pages come back and they're they're better than what I wrote. That's always the like really amazing part. Um, she's she also you know like I was saying with Gurian Hero is, is so good at expression and character, and um, you know getting that getting these pages back and being you know excited to see these these characters coming to life in this new way is uh, is really fantastic. Yeah, I mean, you've worked with so many cool artists. The the different artists you've had on Princeless and on Raven. You, I've seen your stuff tends to gravitate towards those very expressive artists. Absolutely. <laughs> um, now, moving on to Princeless, which is a book that I absolutely adore. I, I stumbled across it. I read something about it online, and the first trade had just come out, and I bought it and I was immediately hooked. Uh, can you talk about the origins of Princeless, where that came from in your life and in the evolution of that as a concept? Yeah. Uh, 
So a long time ago in a dark and scary comic book shop. Uh, uh, North Carolina so or? It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually interesting to me because um, I, was, I had this feeling, you know, looking through my comic shop and uh, you know, I was working on my own sort of independent stuff at that point, but um, I, I had been talking with my wife about you know, having a daughter. We were pregnant at that point, and um, I wanted to have some comics that I could share with her, and I didn't feel like there was really anything coming out. Um, it was, I feel like stuff was extremely dark and um, adult and... Uh, you know, so much of it was designed for uh, for men and specifically for, for men to ogle female characters. And um, there was not much that I'd, I'd want to hand a young girl at that point. Um, and so, you know, I had this idea of, of creating this book that was sort of what I was looking for and had these sort of um, fantasy tropes and and stories that I enjoyed but had a lot of this uh the messages that I, I would want my daughter to get built into that you know had this sort of funky feminist princess she's she's stubborn and she's sometimes mean even um you know and and had all these uh had her brushing up against all these uh horrible fantasy tropes that uh you know somebody in that world would have to deal with um and I, you know, it just turned into uh, this thing that, you know, first was just one issue and then a volume and then you know, this will be volume seven that's starting up now. Um, and like it's it's it just keeps rolling out. You know, I, I think there's still the market has definitely expanded for that sort of thing since I started, you know, seven years ago on this. Um, you know, when we when we launched Princeless. It was the same month that uh, the DC New 52 launched. Um, so, like, talk about counter programming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of these yeah, things is it's, not like the other. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's so strange to think about now because uh, Princess is still around and none of those things are. Uh, I mean, like, obviously Batman is still around, but right. like that that initiative is so far removed from where like DC comics is today. Um, and you know, there's, there was no sign of things like superhero girls or, or squirrel girl or Miss Marvel or, or any of these like, or really even back of Burnside. Yeah. Yeah. That was still years out at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was the last gasp of the new 52. Um, but like, uh, yeah, it was, it was very much a, a different comics landscape than it is now. And it's definitely evolved toward sort of where we had hoped it would. Um, and that's really cool and rewarding. I mean, you mentioned, I mean, Princess is sort of a forerunner of uh, a lot of the stuff we get out of uh, Boombox. Cause you mentioned Goldie Vance and Lumberjanes and Giant Days, all of these ensemble female-driven, creator-owned books that are just yeah. great comics. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I remember at the point that I first started, you know, wandering around with, with princeless at conventions, like, Boom was still making, like, 
licensed Disney books. They had like a Finding Nemo comic at that point. You know, they were still trying to, to figure that out, and they've, I mean, they've done some amazing things since then. So, it's, it's a much different market than it was at that point. Yeah, definitely. Um, you just kind of talked about a little bit about what I was going to ask next, but I just, I kind of, I am curious. So find yourself, which is the miniseries starting in October is the seventh volume of princeless and is correct me if I'm wrong, Adrian finally reaching the tower of the last of her sisters, which sort of was her goal at the beginning of the series was to get all of her sisters out of the towers is this sort of the beginning of the end game for the series, or do you have more stories to tell after that sort of initial mission has ended? Um, that's, it's kind of correct, uh, but yeah, a little wrong. Uh, well, she's, she's certainly, she's the oldest of the sisters. Um, that she's rescuing in, in volume seven. We still have actually the, the one sister who's younger than Adrian, um, right. which she doesn't know where she is. Um, she actually happens to be very close to the, the castle is like the readers will know from volume one, but Adrian does not know. I, um, wow, it's been so long since I read it that completely jumped out yeah. of my head. I need to go back. And yeah. Look I mean, those. <laughs> tell me about it. I've, I've forgotten important plot details that uh, I've had to go back and address when I was writing things. Um, but like, yeah, that's, I, I feel like seven is in a lot of ways, uh, sort of the start of the, the end game of the series. Now that we're, we're going to, to 10 volumes total. Um, and then, oh, wow. yeah. And then, you know, we have, I'd like to do more stuff after that, but that would be the conclusion of this story of her rescuing her sisters. Um, so yeah, there's seven, which is uh, starting up, and then um, eight is is a little bit of an interlude story. Um, you know, it tells the stories of some of her other sisters, sort of after Adrian. Mm. So yeah, nine is the the last mission to to rescue the youngest of the sisters, and then. Uh, I guess 10 is, is sort of a surprise in that respect then. Um, yeah. It's going to be our, our big conclusion uh, to this arc. But yeah, we're, we're firing it along. Like seven is seven is done. All five issues of volume seven are, are in the can and ready to come out between now and March. And then uh, volume eight is actually done and right behind it. So do you, do you have like your sort of general plot outline all kind of, or at least like the basic beats of it meted out all the way to, you know, the end of volume 10 or is there oh, still I, some mystery a, for you? <laughs> it's completely scripted, uh, through the end of volume 10. Oh, wow. Um, and it has been for a while actually. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I had, I think, so volume 10 was originally like two volumes and his, or as well, I guess volume nine, what is it was originally volume eight, I guess, is now nine and ten. Um, and you know, I had some version of that plotted out and written uh, back to you know a couple years ago now, but like that finalized scripts, um, I've really just finished in sort of the last couple months. But yeah, I'm I'm completely done writing ten, other than maybe some copy edits um, and 
thinking a little bit about what's coming up next while I, uh, I'm finishing up actually writing what will be year three of Raven as well. So. That I read somewhere I, at some interview, and it's eluding me about how Raven was sort of a pleasant surprise for you that you'd written it as just sort of a one-off for free comic book day. And it sort of came, developed this life of its own. Uh, yeah. So, you know, we, um, we got the chance from action Lab to do a free comic book day story. And I really hate when I get a free comic book day book and it's just reprinted stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. and, but I still wanted it to be something that, you know, people who hadn't read, you know, at that point, the first two volumes could just pick up and, and enjoy. Um, so we wanted to, you know, introduce this new character who would give us sort of this um, inside angle into uh, what Adrian was doing so we could, you know, introduce the, the concept kind of fresh to people. Um, and that was that was originally how Raven started off, um, is, you know, this character for Adrian to come in and rescue in the story. Um, but... She was also like a lot of people had been asking me about particularly Adrian's sexuality and whether that was something that was going to be addressed in Princeless. And while like it was something that that I felt like could and, and should be talked about in, you know, all ages comics, I don't think it had a place in that particular book, at least for, for Adrian, um, because the book is very much about like not needing somebody to, you know, come along and sweep her off her feet. Um, so I feel like it not, it being a question of, oh, she is not into a person of this particular gender, uh, kind of sidesteps that in a way I didn't want to. Um, but I did want to have a, you know, a lead character in, in one of these stories that was, uh, it was queer and, um, Raven sort of gave us that chance. Um, so, you know, once we decided to expand that comic book day story into an arc you know it was something that was there sort of from from concept that that raven was gay and that was something we were going to play with and um you know once once that story finished and raven sort of went off on her own i begging action lab to like all right let's let's keep doing that let's do a secondary story with with her and, and make it her own thing and make it a slightly different type of story and um to their credit they went along with it and you know Two two and a half years later, we're still doing that. So it's fantastic. That, oh, go ahead, Matt. No, 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 you're, you're up. <laughs> uh, no, I was just going to say, uh, not too long ago, we had uh, Rose Stein and Ted Brandt on the show, and uh, they were talking about how you know they kind of got their start through Raven, and uh, you know they were kind of fresh out of of uh, you know art school and and just scrambling to put together you know this uh, uh, package uh, to. Uh, you know, get, get, get Raven together. And, uh, you know, now seeing them on, um, crowded over at image, uh, you know, their work's been uh, fantastic. Oh yeah. I, I love Rowan and Ted. They're really fantastic people and fantastic artists. And I, I, I feel this like every time I see people praise crowded and, and recognize like how good the two of them are, it's this very like, sounds patronizing this is very like fatherly swell of, of oh, pride sure. in me of like ah they're doing it these kids that you know like like wrote a message to me on tumblr when i was like 
hey guys, volume three of Princess is going to be late because it turns out my artist that was supposed to be doing it can't actually do it. And they just wrote me this thing that was like, hey, could we do it? And I was like, would you guys like, could, could I get some designs or something? Like, you know, so to see what you guys would want to do with it. And like, they just you know, scrambled and, and threw this stuff together and sent it to me and it was just phenomenal. And like, it very quickly turned from a like, Ah oh, man, I'm so I'm so sad that it looks like volume three is, is not gonna happen for like another year to like uh oh man, I found these amazing artists and they're they're doing these, you know, phenomenal things. And uh it, it's they're sort of infuriating and they're, you know, so so young and we're so sort of inexperienced coming into this and already just so good. <laughs> Uh, also, another you know another artist team very good at like expressive you know facial acting. So, oh, absolutely. I, I think like that's it's tough coming out of doing a, a book with them to like work with uh, work with a lot of other people, even like really good people, because like Rosie and Ted would always surprise me. There would always be something like better than what I had come up with on there and you know facial expressions would come back and I'm like oh my god that's so that's so perfect it's so better than what I even had in my head and uh you know there there are people who do uh punching people well and explosions well and don't do facial acting and, and features um and it I it's it's so much harder to like think about okay how do I write for these other people when I've when Rowan Ted spoiled me so much. <laughs> now, uh, Raven recently switched to the digital first single issue print for just the trade model. Um, where did that, as a decision, come from? Was it sales? Was it a creative thing? Was it a little bit of both? And is that kind of a model you see? for the future of comics in general, or is it specific for this book? Um, I think for certain types of books, that might be the way to go. Um, because, you know, the, the audience for this book, I mean, we, we had some issues with sales for a while. We, um, you know, we're, we're dipping down going into year two and I sort of, put the word out there on, on the internet, on Twitter and on Tumblr. And it's like, Hey guys, like we're not doing well. We can't sustain the book at this rate. Um, you know, if, if we can't, you know, pump the sales up, then we're, we're going to be in trouble. And, uh, to the credit of our, our readership, they got out there and really spread the word. I got something like, uh, 10,000 notes on that post on Tumblr within like six hours um, which was insane. Um, yeah. And like we sold out Amazon a few times of all their stock of the first couple of trades. And, um, you know, we had diamond sort of scurrying to, to get more stuff in, um, which is always a good feeling, but like those numbers weren't really reflected in single issue sales, at least not physical ones. Um, you know, our, our digital sales went up significantly and our trade sales went up significantly. The physical ones, uh, they they went up ever so slightly and um, sort of sat there. Um, 
so you know it was a conversation that was had between myself and the publisher about you know what was the best way to, to keep going with it and you know we came to the conclusion that the going you know digitally with the single issues and and putting out print trades was the way to do it um, and that way we're not spending all this time money and effort printing out these single issues it also means we can get single issues out quicker digitally we don't have to wait on the timetable of, of diamond and the printer and everything else um, so you know as soon as we have all the issues for the trade we can go ahead and get the trades printed and, and get them solicited and out there um, so I, it, it's worked out really well for us I'm sure if um, you know it probably wouldn't be like the ideal for Batman or something um, but, <laughs> but like it's uh, it is what I think is, is sort of the future of, of not necessarily direct market stuff, you know, things that maybe have more of a, a home in the bookstore um, than in the comic book store. Because, um, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong, we've had a lot of great support from from comic book stores, but uh, you know, we don't we don't do twelve rare variants and <laughs> uh, the sort of things that you know can can be used to inflate numbers that they're not don't really work for our audience. Um, so, like. Yeah, this has been, I think, the, the way to go for us. And uh, we've, we're sort of adjusting. I'm, I'm hoping that if we can uh, do things the, the way I like, that we'll be able to, uh, since we're not working with the monthly solicitation schedule, we can get sort of multiple volumes cooking at the same time and then, like, have books, you know, have comics coming out quicker, um, you know, in single issues and then, as a consequence, quicker in trade. And get more stuff out there to to the audience that does want it. Right, volume six is in the current uh, volume six. Is this it? Or, I can't remember if it just said issue or volume. You said uh, that volume. Okay, volume six is in the previews. That's final order is in the next uh, few days. Actually, that's the first of the digital first singles to trade. Correct. Um. Yeah, I think it's the first the first book that's been all of that. I think we weirdly changed over with um, I think maybe one issue left in the last volume, in volume five, but um, uh, it was it was a very kind of sudden decision on our part. Uh, may have maybe not been the most planned out thing, but <laughs> yeah, this is the first one that's uh, all been just available digitally until now. It's good to know I'm going to have to track down a volume five then because I was one of those single ticket, a single ticket, single issue uh, print readers. So good to know that I have to track down a volume five before that. <laughs> um, now, we've kind of touched on some of the themes that you address in Princeless, um, but one of the ones that is really a major theme and is something that isn't explored a lot in comics is not just acceptance, but self-acceptance. And the, one of the best issues of the series is one that really explored that. It was the zero issue of make yourself. Um, can you talk about the genesis of that particular issue? Um, yeah, that, that issue is sort of something that, um, I had had cooking in my head for a while, um, and I wasn't sure when in the story I wanted to do it um, because you know it does come up early 
in you know uh, to some extent in volume one, but more so in volume two that that Adrian is is not particularly fond of her own appearance. Um, and you know I wanted to have a point where you know she got to address that and got to talk about it. And, um, you know, we got to uh, not necessarily fix it, but, um, you know, have her come to terms with with herself and, and find our, her that she liked. Um, and, you know, this was uh, a really, I think, a really, like, real issue. Um, you know, in particular, like, I went through, I was, you know, with my wife, well, she was going through a very, like, similar issue with her with her hair. Um, and I know there are plenty of people who, who go through the same sort of thing. Um, and I think that's the sort of thing that's, that's often missing from, from comics and from fantasy stories is, um, you know, these, these stories of sort of finding yourself and in, in self-worth in a, um, in the world. Um, and that was, that was something that I, I'd wanted to play with. And then, you know, we had a point in volume four where, uh, you know, she's fighting in the swamp and a chunk of her hair gets burned off. And um, it seemed like, you know, the ideal point to to do something with it. And um, it, it just so happens that my uh, my friend Alex, who drew that issue, had done um, some fan art of, of Adrian. Um, and I really just loved the way that he had done her hair and had textured it. And um, it was a really fantastic looking uh, print that he had done and uh, you know I asked him about doing this story and uh, he did you know did a really amazing job with it um, and it ended up really <laughs> it ended up really throwing off our issue count for that volume which is why uh, volume five and six ended up being you know one big volume in, in two books <laughs> basically um, but I, I felt like it was important and I felt like it, it touched on stuff that that nobody else was doing in in that genre and um it was was important to me for for my daughters to see as well i mean another thing thematically we've touched on is just how diverse and inclusive your work is more so than a lot of other creators i mean between the 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 young women of girl the cast of Princeless and the crew of Ravenship are not just different races, but different body types, different orientations, a little bit of everything. And comics have made strides in recent years, but there's still quite a ways to go on that. Um, I'm assuming that since you've done so much work with that kind of inclusivity that you feel that is an important step that we as a culture need to take within the, the comics community and at large. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, I think it's it's important um, not just to tolerate but to to accept and to explore and to learn um and those are you know things i, I try to do in in my life but um you know something that i think is important for um the kind of stories we tell too 
is you know to to give people a portal into other lives and to to see you know both the similarities and the differences um you know that that's something that i love seeing in comics i love reading about you know people with with different experiences from me seeing it from different points of view um that's one of the most interesting things about you know, reading and movies and all this stuff to me is you know seeing it from a, a different point of view um and that's that's something I've I've always been conscious with. I mean, Princeless obviously it's sort of baked into the message, um, and you know, in the case of Raven, I had sort of a core idea of some some things I wanted to do, and then uh, a lot of that is down to you know Rowan Ted helping to create the supporting cast and um, you know give them uh, kind of life and, and designs and interest that you know uh, drives that book. Um, and I always felt like, you know, people have uh, often commented or, or complimented on the diversity of of girl labs, and um, I felt like that was a no-brainer um, because I wanted it to be reflective of New York City, where these, you know, all these stories supposedly take place, and uh, New York is a diverse city with a lot of people from from different backgrounds and different points of view and uh i feel like that should be reflected in the comics that take place there and um you know we, i i made sure to sort of go around new york and and find uh you know different families and different experiences that were uh you know that, that told stories of, of different parts of new york and that's um where we sort of generated the the look and feel and uh histories of the characters and that's um, I feel like that's what you should always do when you're, you know, working within a setting of a of a city like that. Is is you know, get a feel for the city and and really um, represent it. Because yeah, you know, if you if you want to be telling stories, if you want to be representing people, you should be doing your best to do it accurately. And um, you know, I, I live in a fairly diverse part of North Carolina, as North Carolina goes. Um, but like every year going to, you know, New York Comic Con and, and being up in New York, it's so interesting and amazing to me, just the the cultural and language shifts that, that happen just walking through New York. Um and just, you know, the hearing the language that's being spoken around you change and, and seeing the uh you know, the restaurants and the culture, you know, just change from neighborhood to neighborhood is such a cool heart of New York that, you know, you don't get in a lot of different areas of the country and not making that part of this book seemed like a terrible idea. It was never really an option for me. <laughs> oh, you're making me miss New York. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what are you reading right now? If you know, you have the time to read in between writing six comics a month. Um, a lot of the reading I've been doing recently is, is, uh, I don't know, it's secret reading. Uh, for you know other <laughs> stuff I'm working on, but um, I've I've been um, in addition to stuff I've actually had to read for for work stuff. Um, I am reading Crowded, which is fantastic. Um, I am still reading Saga, and uh, I'm finally starting to feel like uh, people who people who came in on saga and this is like their first big comic book or their first Brian Kavon comic book. They're, they're finally really 
really starting to understand what it is to love a Brian K. Vaughn comic book after this last volume. Um, are you are you caught up to the hiatus at this point? Yeah, or? yeah. I I am I'm two trades behind, so <laughs> no spoilers. I just I just know I'm about to get my heart broken. That's all I know. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I've been keeping it quiet for months now because I'm still a single ticket. Sing, I keep saying that single issue reader on that book. No, you know what, Matt? Yeah. We're going to make that catch on single tickets for now. <laughs> you know, you work in the theater for as long as I do. You say single and ticket just comes out after it. It's sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, it's um, you know, it's as somebody who like when I was getting back into comics uh, after college, like one of the first series I got hooked on was Why the Last Man, mm-hmm. um, which is a series that just, like, it hooks you and then it beats you up and leaves you bloody in a gutter. Like, <laughs> that's the way that that book feels. And I feel like Saga has finally just, just gotten to that point. Um, uh, talking about New York, that's exactly how I felt about the ending of uh, Ex Machina. <laughs> uh, ending of Ex Machina was rough. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's um, he's that man has a gift for for destroying people morally. Um, yeah, yeah, he like, really does. You don't you don't come out of any Brian K. Vaughn book the same person you you went into it as, um, and I guess for for his run on Runaways as well, which was uh, it's one of still my favorite like superhero comics of all time is that, that first run on runaways. Absolutely. Um, and it's sorry. Oh no, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, it's also funny that people, I think often forget he created the hood who Bendis mm-hmm. has used so many times throughout his Avengers run, but he was, but it was Vaughn who created him as this sort of small time crook who became this big, darker, more evil, more powerful threat. And again, it's that slow descent into something worse than what you intended to be. Yeah. He's, uh, I always feel like the hood is sort of the anti-Spider-Man. Um, mm. You know, he's this, he's this kid who was, you know, he's just kind of a shitty kid. And then he stumbled on something very powerful and like, that power immediately corrupted him, but you know, very gradually, um, you know, making him, him more and more awful. Um, yeah, and that's I don't know that that's he's a he's a character I like a lot, but yeah, that original like hood graphic novel of, of Brian K. Bond is pretty incredible. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I am actually relatively caught up on. I'm pretty behind on Paper Girls, which is again Brian K. Bond. Um, uh, my daughter and I read both Squirrel Girl and Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur on a regular basis. Um, I can't wait to get the most recent issue. Squirrel Girl was a, a mostly silent issue. It was a ton of fun. Nice. Yeah, I, um, I've done a couple of, uh, panels with Ryan North and, uh, I was, I was telling him on the last panel that we did that, uh, Reading Squirrel Girl with my daughter taught me how to count in binary. (laughs) (laughs) I hadn't hadn't ever uh, done that before. And, you know, reading one of those issues, I was like, oh, so that's how that works. Um, I remember that issue. (laughs) Yeah. It's a very good issue. Um, It's a very good writer, that that Ryan North. Yeah. Um, Not bad. Um, 
But uh, I'm trying to think of what else. Uh, Ms. Marvel and Captain Marvel and Runaways um, are all always on my list. Um, I'm very behind on Batwoman, but I theoretically still, well, I guess, uh, read, read that book. Um, yeah. I never quite cut up. I bought the books, but they're still sitting in a pile. I'm, I'm reading uh, the new run on Fantastic Four, which I'm enjoying quite a bit. Um, and West Coast Avengers is is really good. Oh, that book is so much fun. I, I've I've got issue, I, I have issue number two kind of sitting up there waiting for me uh, when I'm done. But uh, I really enjoyed the first issue. Yeah, again, that Kelly Thompson, pretty good writer. Knows her yeah. way around a comic. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I just finished catching up on last week's books, and I just read the fourth issue of her Nancy Drew, which is so so much fun. Yeah, that's. I feel like that's the mission for our our uh, Rainbow Bright is to be uh, as much fun as as Nancy Drew has been for Nancy Drew people, Nancy Drew fans. It's a good bar. Uh, well, so, Jeremy, as we're uh, as we're wrapping up here, uh, how can people follow you online if you in fact wish to be followed? Uh, so I'm I'm on Twitter, um, for God knows what reason. Um, but, <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, we will ask ourselves that. For blocking trolls. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's my entire purpose there is to I have uh half of half of Twitter blocked already. Um so my my uh Twitter is uh Jrome five eight, it's J R O M E five eight. Um I also have a website which I'm fairly bad at updating, but does have a contact uh sheet, which is just uh JeremyWhitley.com. dot com. And um my last show for the year is uh, Bull City Comic Con here in, in Durham, North Carolina in, in November. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, Jeremy, thank you so much for uh, coming on. Oh, it's my pleasure. That's it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Monday mornings. You can support WMQ&A and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com slash WMQComics. You can follow WMQComics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote. Finally, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views, and we'll see you next time. WMQA.